Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 17. It's kind of gaslighty, you know, being like every every week showing up and being like, we're singing songs about freedom. You have this like spiritual high and you're in community and it's fun. So you start to convince yourself that like that's what freedom actually is. And then kind of coming to grips with it's not. And what does this mean about, you know, the faith that I grew up with? This is the episode that almost didn't happen. Uh, my computer just went up and died on me last week. Uh, so a huge special shout out to my friend Kelsey for giving up her computer, letting me borrow it for the foreseeable future so that I could get this episode done. Uh, like seriously, y'all, we're just like just squeaking by on this. Uh, had to reschedule everything. and But here we are. It's here. Episode's out. So excited about today's guest. I first started following Tori on her Instagram account, Notes on the Way, last year after Brene Brown uh, started sharing some of her work. Uh, She's a poet and an artist uh, who believes that creativity should be a place of refuge and that spirituality should be a place of freedom and vice versa. Uh, Her work is incredible. Uh, If you don't already follow her on Instagram, like I would say like stop this episode even though we worked really hard on it stop this episode (laughs) go follow notes on the way and then resume it little did i know when i started following her that she just happens to be a queer person of faith and the moment i found that out i reached out to her and turns out she already listens to the podcast (laughs) which was (laughs) mind-blowing so here we are uh tori says that she's learning to love the joy and the vulnerability and the courage of living in the holy middle, living in liminal spaces. Uh, And we talk a lot about that in this episode. Uh, So go ahead and get cozy, uh, and let's jump right in. Tori, good morning. Hi, Matthias. What's up? Not a lot. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm super excited. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So to start, uh, how do you identify, uh, and then how would you say that your faith uh, has helped form that identity. I have heard you ask this question every time. Um, <laughs> and I'm finding it like hearing everyone's varying answers, um, has just kind of like revealed to me the complexity of this question, yeah. um, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the easy answer for me would be, I identify as a gay Christian woman, mm-hmm. uh, cisgender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am struggling, especially right now, with language in terms of faith mm. and even the question of um, how does your faith help mm. um, is is a complex one for me mm-hmm. um, because I think on the one hand it is the thing that has driven to driven me to be um, fully accepting of my own sexuality, fully accepting of other people's. Mm-hmm sexual identities, sexualities, gender identities. Mm -hmm. Um, like to me, that is all, um, kind of embodied by, or well, I mean, I guess I would say like my love for humanity and my love for life and for art and for justice is all compelled by the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I think faith has been, faith is the reason that I, was single 
and convincing myself that I was straight for 27 years. Mm. So it's just been a really layered, um, it's been a really layered experience with, with faith for me in general, beyond sexuality. I've had a, I've had a really rough go with Christians and churches and, um, my dad's a pastor and I grew Mm. up, you know, with like, honestly, with a good example of, Mm. of what I think a pastor is and could be, Mm. um, my dad is a really, really wonderful, humble, authentic, uh, loving man. Mm. Um, but I grew up inside church contexts that were not, uh, that did not embody those same virtues. Right. So it has just been a rocky ride for me with faith. And, and honestly, you're like catching me in a lot of middles right mm. now. Like, I feel like I'm still trying to figure out then what does that mean for me as a person of faith? Um, because I do believe that the language matters mm. there. Mm-hmm. And I don't identify with so much of what uh, Christianity uh, is culturally, mm. at least in the in the majority Christian culture these right. days right, right, right. Um, here in the States. Mm-hmm. But I identify very much with the person of Jesus. Mm. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate that uh, in a way that, feels authentic and yeah, yeah integrated. Yeah. So yeah, it's complex question for a complex time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those questions. Someone the other day turned that question back around on me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, yeah. I like, <laughs> someday maybe I will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, the, the complexity in there, uh, and mm. and that kind of liminal space, the space of the middles, uh, mm-hmm. like that's something that I feel like I wonder because I feel like I'm in a similar place here. I wonder if that ever really goes away. Like, yeah, <laughs> once we get outside of those those boundaries of certainty, um, yeah, like that's good. I, I don't know. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I feel like where you start to like get answers for one of the many questions, like a bunch of other ones surface then, and then you're in the new middle. Like, right. It's like you, you're constantly moving into the next middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like not, yeah, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's all I can say. It's like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading Brene Brown's mm-hmm. new book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which has already wrecked me and I'm three chapters in. Oh, I bet. Um, but like her, it, the the language throughout the whole thing is just about like braving the wilderness mm-hmm. and about being able to like step like in order to belong fully to yourself it, it means belonging everywhere and nowhere at the same time and mm. being able to stand alone from your group when you need to and finding out like learning how for that space to be a space of like empowerment rather than loneliness yeah um, and like belonging rather than fear or isolation. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading all of this and I'm just like, dang, like, yeah, that's definitely where I want to land. But again, the question of like, but does that like journey ever end? Like, right. do you ever find that sense of like, okay, I think I've landed, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't started that book yet, but it's on my list because like, it's lovely. I adore Renee. 
Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah. Th- when I was reading the summary of this book and that, that like braving the wilderness, the, that idea mm-hmm. of, of wilderness, it, it, I mean, I feel like probably every single person in their life has that sense of wilderness. Um, but mm-hmm. it felt like it kind of like I was resonating in it, especially in the spiritual journey of trying to figure out holding faith and sexuality together. And that like having to step away from the community that gives you belonging mm. and yeah, trying to find a different one or that, that sense. Cause I think I'm thinking about like, I feel like the church, something that the church does really well, at least the church that I grew up in was that sense of community and belonging mm-hmm. and family. And I feel like for com- for a lot of people coming out robs them of that. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a heartbreaking and difficult thing to then have to reckon with. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting for me because, um, I honestly have not grown up in churches where mm. community and belonging were done well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of ironic too, uh, because the church that I most recently left, mm-hmm. um, the la- like, this was, I guess, a year and a half ago now mm. I've been out of church. Um, but, uh, it's real like they used a lot of language of wilderness, um, in their like sermons and we're going out into the wilderness and we're going to change the world was mm-hmm. kind of like the, the mantra mm-hmm. and, and the slogan for the church was you belong here. So hmm. having like, but there are literally hundreds of us who have left, feeling wounded and manipulated and confused. And, um, and so it's, it's been really interesting, even just like the language of Brene's new book, mm-hmm. um, about braving the wilderness and no one belongs here more than you. And this is about true belonging. And it just is like very much sat, I think like close to the surface for me. Mm. Um, so it's been a really, uh, like eye-opening experience in it, I think a way that was different than I was expecting. Hmm. Um, but what's interesting, I think for me is I went 27 years literally being so afraid to look at my sexuality hmm. that I, I think I kind of detached from the fact that I like have a body altogether. Yeah. So I feel like I, I feel like I kind of floated through for the most part when it came to having that be a costly, uh, like a costly badge to wear, Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. in the faith community. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I had it fairly easy, um, when it came to that. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is, um, watching people come out and drop like flies all around me. Yeah. And, I like when I think back on it now, I, I feel like I'm like looking at myself from like a different angle. Like, mm. I feel like I'm just like watching it's, it's like, um, in Harry Potter when he's got all of the Patronuses just like flying by yeah, him. Yeah. Like, that's like how I, like when I think back on those memories, like that's how it feels. And then like having my own heartbreaks and issues with churches. And that's honestly for the most part, because I'm like just a, a, different person in general. Mm -hmm. Like I have never really conformed to people's expectations. Mm. Um, and sometimes out of like integrity and sometimes out of defiance. Right. Um, but I, uh, 
it's like I, I, it wasn't until I had been so badly wounded by churches in other ways that I wound up leaving. And then when I left, it was when I had the courage to actually start looking inward and um, because I think there was a part of me that was still trying to hold on to that sense of belonging that I had, especially in the last community I was a part of. Like yeah. when it's good, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm constantly being asked to perform and to change. Mm. Like I literally had people throw out clothing of mine that they didn't like. Mm. Um, like it was stuff like that where I'm just like, I, I can't be here like I can't cry here without being mocked or having leadership positions taken away from me because I'm too weak like Mm. that was kind of the culture I I was in for three years Mm -hmm. um and so it wasn't until I had been so um badly rejected by my not just my specific church but every church before that Mm -hmm. and leading up to that had Mm -hmm. been with the exception of one had been the same narrative Mm -hmm. And, um, and so then to find myself on the outside of that Mm. and then to realize, like to start coming to terms with my sexuality, to start grappling with that. And what does this mean? And really, truly, um, you know, believing that there's a space for the LGBTQ community in faith circles and in, in the world that I think Jesus would imagine, Mm um, I, it, it took me coming out of all of that pain and rejection in order for me to kind of have that journey of self-discovery at mm. all. I feel like church was the inhibitor for me in mm. having in, in, in having the ability to come to terms with who I am. Um, and not just in terms of my sexuality, but kind of across the board. Yeah. Um, but especially in terms of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that was 20, 27 years into my life. Mm. And... Um, and in some ways it's like, I am glad that I didn't have to go through the coming out process within the four walls of a church. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I have friends for whom that's been excruciating. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I'm, I feel like a little bit robbed of some Mm -hmm. of those years, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just been, yeah, it's been like a, a heavy, complicated journey kind of out of faith and into faith at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Out of faith and into faith at the same time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Like that's so interesting. Cause I feel like, and, and we've had conversations on this podcast with some other people about like this idea of like embodied spirituality, um, mm. especially, um, and I'm going to plug an episode, but especially in episode yes, five with, with Abby Robbins, uh, who's a yoga therapist. Uh, and she, and she talks about, yeah, you know, we, we are bodies like that mm. is literally, literally the mechanism that we have that moves us through this world. We are embodied beings yeah, and that has to be a part of our spirituality. Um, and it sounds like from what I'm hearing with your story, like the rejection that you were feeling from the church wasn't even so much about, like, I feel like for me, I mean, cause we all have our experiences of rejection. It was because right. of my sexuality, um, right. but for you, it was, if I'm hearing you right, uh, you literally couldn't inhabit your body. And it sounds like when you yeah. were inhabiting your body, when you were expressing emotion, when you were living into the fullness of your being, you were pushed away. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is exactly, that is exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah. And it's, it's interesting hearing you repeat that back to me. Mm. 
because it's exactly my lived experience. And it's also, I don't think anything I've ever heard anyone say to me about my experience. Mm. So yeah, that it was profound for me. Mm. Um, yeah, that was profound for me. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's, I, and, and that is again, I mean, I will probably bring up Brene Brown 500 times Please before do. we are done with this. <laughs> Please do. Um, but it was her work that ironically where it started was at the last church that I was at, they had a um, satellite screening of the global leadership summit. Mm. And I went and listened to Brene Brown talk there. Mm-hmm. And there was something about it that just kind of like stirred my soul, honestly, in a way that like, like that in a way that gospel does, mm. like when you, when you hear something that is like, so that feels so authentically gospel, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like freedom, you know, mm-hmm. that was, that was kind of the experience that I was having. So I went out and I read all of her literature. I listened to her six hour, uh, audiobook uh like I was just like absorbing yeah everything that I could mm-hmm. because it I it felt like someone was giving me permission to be free mm. that the church had never given me permission to do yeah and that to me is uh maybe the most tragic thing for me within faith communities right now is is looking around and being like we are we, we are proclaiming this gospel of, of peace and of freedom, mm-hmm. but I keep coming back to um, the words of Jesus where he's like, but you are giving people burdens that are far too heavy to carry and you won't lift a finger to help. Yeah. And that has, that has just kind of been my experience within faith communities. Um, so having someone on the outside give me permission to be free and to be vulnerable and to freaking cry when I need to and to come to grips with my sexuality. Like the fact that, I mean, I, I celebrate so deeply the, the fact that I found that anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm also grieved and heartbroken by the fact that, you know, we, we, well, I grew up in churches that would profess belonging and freedom and we'd sing songs about freedom and grace Mm -hmm. and, and being met though, or being told, I guess that I was experiencing freedom and grace, Mm. um, while experiencing, I think a form of captivity and being held hostage to my opinions and behaviors Mm. and people's perspectives on my opinions and behaviors. And, um, so it's kind of gaslighty, you know, yeah. being like every every week showing up and being like, we're singing songs about freedom. And you have this like spiritual high and you're in community and it's fun. Mm-hmm. So you start to convince yourself or I start to convince myself that like that's what freedom actually is. Right. And then kind of coming to grips with it's not. And what does this mean about, you know, the faith that I grew up with? with right. And what does this mean about about the the gospel and what does this mean about Christianity and what does this like do other people and other religious communities deal with the same confusion and um and yet in the midst of all of that I'm like but the person of Jesus is the one thing I haven't been able to shake Mm -hmm. so yeah gosh this is bringing to mind like what you're talking about that kind of gaslighty that like preaching like you belong you belong here 
you're welcome here. It's it's bringing to mind a quote that I, I'm. Uh, let me see if I can find um, that I'm going to read because I think it's it's so good. It's by uh, James Brownson who wrote a book called Bible, Gender, Sexuality. Uh, cool. And uh, it, it's a it's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but. And who knows whether this will actually make it into the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it on. Bring it on. Uh, So he writes, uh, the typical slogans clearly express the ambivalence. He's talking about like um, churches that ascribe to a more traditional understanding of sexuality. Mm. The typical Mm -hmm. slogans clearly express the ambivalence, welcoming but not affirming. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. On the mm-hmm. surface, the gay or lesbian person is welcomed into the fellowship, but the desires and the emotional orientation or disposition of the person's sexuality are shunned. Mm. Ironically, in this context, the more deeply the gay or lesbian person is welcomed and loved by the fellowship, the more profound the problem of shame becomes. Mm. The internalized message becomes something like this. These people love me so much, they must be right when they say my sexual orientation is a manifestation of sinful brokenness. Therefore, I must resist this part of myself all the more insistently. Mm. Sometimes such a process is effective in helping a person who is confused about his or her sexual orientation to move towards embracing the wider norms of society in his or her sexuality. But the research shows that such change only happens in a small minority of relevant cases. And when this attempt to embrace a dominant society's perspective on sexuality is unsuccessful, when desires for others of the same sex persist, the result is a deeply internalized sense of shame, frustration, and self-loathing. The self is divided, and shame becomes toxic. Shame always becomes toxic when it is constructed out of a double message. We love you, Mm. but we abhor the way you operate emotionally. These conflicting messages create divided souls and these inner conflicts precisely because they are so shameful, powerfully resist the light of day. They remain Mm -hmm. submerged, manifesting themselves in depression, scapegoating, sickness, anger towards others, or even suicide. Um, Mm. Yes. Like, yes. (laughs) Yes. Please put that in the podcast. Yeah. Like that quote, like that quote is one that like, I feel like he does such a good job of describing that that internal sense of like these people say they love me, but I don't feel loved. Like yes, and what do you do with that? Right, you know what I mean? Because it's like I and and I'm still and I'm still sorting through this because I'm like I have those voices still in my head mm. that say, well, love doesn't always look like love, and love doesn't always feel like love, and you've got to right. know that like this is where they're coming from, and and. On the one hand, I am like a a firm believer in boundaries mm-hmm. and in self-care. So I understand that there are going to be times where I say no to something or no to someone's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, uh, treatment of me or whatever Right. that is going to make them feel unloved. Mm-hmm. And, and so like... I don't know. I just, I wrestle, I wrestle so deeply with, with this. And I like, this is like an internal conflict because I, I feel like it's really obvious that if it doesn't feel like love, it's not love. Right. Um, nine times out of 10. Right. Um, and then I also, I struggle saying that cause I can think of very specific examples where I know people in my life have not felt loved by me, but I knew I was doing what I needed to do for my own health and right. well being. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have, the, the voice of, you know, I was in, I was in Bible college for two years. Mm. My, my spiritual background is, is something. (laughs) Um, I was in Bible college for two years. Um, I was one of 13 women 
in a class of 300. Mm. Wow. Um, so it was a very conservative faculty, mm-hmm. um, more conservative and kind of uh, like a, sometimes absurdly conservative students. Mm-hmm. And then the just the uh, atmosphere of uh, misogyny mm-hmm. was was pretty uh, palpable. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Um, so so um, coming from my Bible college background, mm. I have um, the voice in the back of my mind still. Um, that to this day, like when I say that does not make me feel loved, Mm. that does not, um, honor my experience as a human being. And it doesn't believe me when I try to like speak my truth Mm -hmm. and, um, like these voices make me feel really shitty Mm -hmm. and having the Bible college voice in the back of my mind that is, well, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice and love doesn't always make you feel good. And the purpose of spirituality is not to be happy and take up your cross. And, um, so that's where I, like, I feel like there's this kind of like pinball effect. And and what I've had to just keep moving towards is like, where do I feel alive? Mm -hmm. Where do I feel free? Where do I feel whole? Mm-hmm. That's the direction I'm going to keep moving, even though these other voices are like shouting at me and making me feel um, afraid and small and right. unsure of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, to just keep moving towards that, right? Uh, the voice that feels like it is calling me into my whole self, mm-hmm. um, because I do believe that that's God. Yeah, um, and I'm you know, imagining a specific Bible college classmate of mine hearing this podcast and having plenty to say to me about my emotions leading me. And, you know, totally. so it's just, it just feels like I, all I can do is keep moving towards where I feel like God is. Yeah. And what's hard for me as well is being like, I want to move toward where God is. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to, um, uncover, uh, more about the, the person of Jesus Mm -hmm. and the, um, life giving spirit that is God. And I feel like I'm constantly fighting my way forward. Mm -hmm. And what really gets me are the people who, because of my sexuality or because of my opinions on X, Y, Z, will tell me that that's not really what I want and that's not really what I'm fighting for and that's not really what I'm moving toward. Right. Um, like it's this, this experience of being like, you don't believe, you don't believe my intentions, you don't believe my experience, you mm-hmm. don't believe. Um, when I say that these are the things that make me feel free and these are the things that make me feel captive Mm -hmm. that I'm moving towards the things that make me feel free. And you tell me, no, I'm not. Right. Those are the, those are kind of the conversations that where I'm just like, I don't even know how to move forward in these anymore. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think like, I, I wonder, and I have strong hunches, um, that going back to that kind of idea of getting into our bodies, uh, Mm -hmm. especially within our spirituality, within our faith. Uh, I, I, I think like that highlights that disconnect uh, between that kind of rational faith uh, that mm. you know, the product of, of modernism and, and 
Western philosophy and, and all of that. Right. And, and then the more embodied experiences that we haven't done well as a culture, just in general. Uh, right. But I, I'm thinking about the, the, that pushback of emotions and you're letting your emotions lead you and, and you can't trust your feelings because that's such a pervasive model in, in the, the part of the church that I grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like as an aside, like as I, as I started like studying and working on my counseling degree. Um, like, yeah, good for you. All, thank you. <laughs> all, yeah. all rational thought, all rational thought is birthed from emotion. Not the mm. other way around. Uh, Ooh. All of it. I like that. That's what the brain science says. It's pretty much unequivocally proved by now. Um, there's mm. no such thing as rationality outside of emotion. And I think we have these ideas that we can, that our brains can control our bodies. And, and when really it's our bodies that control our brains. Um, mm. It's, uh, there's a researcher named Antonio Damasio who has done insane amounts of study over the last 30 years on this, has written multiple books. Um, a book called that feeling of what happens uh, talks a lot about this. Um, but it's that idea like we prize this rationality when in reality, that rationality is coming out of our bodies to begin mm. with. Um, mm-hmm. And so when we tune into our bodies, they lead us places that are more true. Mm. Um, I love that. Yeah. Me too. I love that. <laughs> and, and Yeah. And it makes all the sense in the world to me. And I'm like, how did I spend 27 years missing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, okay, Matthias, this is, this is the context I was coming from. Mm. This is what I did. I kid you not until I was 27 years old. I walk into the room. I look around for the cutest boy in the attainable bracket. Mm. And I say, you are who I will have a crush on. And then I would like manufacture this crush Mm. on someone who then should we wind up hanging out, Mm -hmm. I'm super bored by Mm -hmm. and confused why I'm not more excited or connected or Mm. um, like why it just felt like there was something missing. And and so I just kept telling myself like, oh, my, my standards are just too high for like these, these boys. And, and like, of course now I'm like, Oh, I just was not into them at all. Right. Right. But, but that's like kind of in keeping with that, that language of like, yeah, when, when we are responding, like as our whole selves, Mm. bodies included, like Mm. we're being led into the things that are true. Mm -hmm. Like that, I feel like is a concrete example for me in my life where, like my refusal to acknowledge my physical self, my refusal to acknowledge all of the emotions and the um, complexity and vulnerability that comes with living like completely integrated. Mm. Um, where I like, I just, I spent so much time trying to manufacture a life for myself mm. based on some so-called rationale mm-hmm. Um, which really I I think was based in, you know, fear and shame and, but, but it was different. It was a different experience for me than like, like I wasn't, I wasn't closeted for Mm -hmm. 27 years. I literally was manufacturing a different 
reality in my mind hmm. about what I was experiencing and why. Right. And so that like, I don't know that quote just like, or that concept, like really tangibly makes all the sense in the world to me based yeah. on mm-hmm. my lived experience right. with that. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It blew my mind the first time I heard it. And then I was like, that can't be true. And then I started reading it and it's like, oh no, it's very true. Like, <laughs> I, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's crazy too, because I feel like the more that I have um, wanted to be integrated mm. and wanted to be um, fully myself, like I all of a sudden like feel compelled to like work out and mm. like eat better. And like, I, I'm like taking care of myself in a way that I hadn't prior. And it's, right. I, I feel like it's just like, like there's this um, kind of, it's, it's dawning on me that I have a body and yeah. that it's a good thing and yeah. that it's not something to hide from or be ashamed of. And right. like, I don't know. And, and even in, I, I just, I feel like there's just so much, I don't know if you grew up in youth group, oh, but yeah. like, you know, the like <laughs> silver ring thing and abstinence and yep. purity and girls, you need to dress modest. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like that, that was the narrative that I, kind of came into and and now in hindsight just being like how much damage are we doing to each other by like teaching each other that our bodies and our um emotions and our connectedness to like a physical world mm-hmm. are a bad thing right yeah 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 i feel like, and and again this is another one of those middles where i'm like i i'm not living this yet mm. like i'm still i think i'm, I'm in the first stretch of like oh I have a body and it's okay. Right. But like, I already feel such a sense of like relief and, um, it's like, it's a breath of fresh air just being like, Oh, I exist. Mm -hmm. Like I actually, I, and I feel like I'm existing Mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't felt like I was existing before. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, so this is a little, a little bit of a pivot, but I think it, it ties right in. Uh, cause I think you're a poet. Uh, mm-hmm. you have your Instagram account notes on the way and I've, I do. I've often heard poetry described as like the language of the soul. I think it, it can be yeah. the language of the body in a, in a way. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I'd love if you can maybe talk about your poetry, talk about notes on the way, maybe read for us some of your work. Like, yeah, um, I, I'm going to actually start with reading one great because of literally the conversation we were just having, Mm. I was like this, uh, I have one, one poem in particular that I think really kind of captures Mm -hmm. what we've just been talking about. Mm. Um, this one's called me. That is me. Mm. I've been listening for her everywhere. That me, that is me in songs, Psalms and sermons. Today, it was an audiobook. Even though she is the voice that is mine, she's surprisingly hard to hear. And in fact, I have found that I feel her most in the funniest moments. The squeak of the strings between strums. The sigh of the soul between sentences. Perhaps it is as simple as she is the tears in my eyes for no apparent reason. But whoever she is, I know she is. And she is well worth the work it takes to find her. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Feels like that was, like, literally while we were talking, I was like, I have a poem about this. Yeah. And it's one that I set aside for this morning. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, 
yeah, I guess to talk about poetry, mm. um, I honestly came into poetry um, because I didn't know how else to express myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, when I was, I started writing poetry prior, but it was very detached, generalized, like um, invulnerable poetry. Yeah. It's not what I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really did anything with it. I just kind of sat with it and thought that it was like, you know, kind of cool. And I'm proud of this one thing I did with th- this one word here. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was definitely very guarded. Mm. Um, and then again, it was when I started reading Brene's work. Um, I started actually having, I was kind of in that weird in between of like, uh, not feeling at home in the church that I was in and then meeting people on the outside who actually treated me with dignity and respect mm-hmm. and kind of coming to grips with, like, I felt like I was kind of, uh, like opening my like rib cage mm. and just standing there like totally exposed. Mm. And I didn't have the tools to deal with that. Um, like relationally, I still wasn't ready to make, like have conversations. Mm-hmm. I, um, wasn't going to therapy at the time. Mm-hmm. And even if I was, I, to be honest, don't know how effective it would have been because I genuinely don't think I was ready to express myself to anyone in any way at that Mm -hmm. time. Um, but I had poetry. And so I remember, like I would have these mornings where I was just like in this internal state of like turmoil and confusion and frustration. Mm. And, um, that was the thing that I had that made me feel like I could do something about it Mm -hmm. or that I could, uh, do something redemptive with it. Mm. Um, it made me feel like a person in the midst of all of that. Mm. And, um, and then, you know, I started sharing it on a very small scale. Um, and a lot of my friends were like, wait, I want a copy of this. Mm. Like, this is exactly how I feel and things like that. And, um, and I started realizing like, oh, this is not only a gift to me. Yeah. Um, and you know, and ironically, like I've wanted to be a writer since I was nine. Right. That has been like my, my thing for (laughs) my entire life. But, um, it felt like poetry kind of just happened to me. (laughs) It wasn't a thing that I spent a whole lot of time, um, like trying to learn or read or, and now, of course, I do. Now I love it. Right. Um, because now I understand it. But I think back then it was just like, this is the only thing that I really have that makes me feel like I have a voice mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to have it connect, like when my like most personal stuff that is about me specifically, not anyone else, not trying to be inclusive of anyone else, just about me. Mm-hmm. And having people be like, oh, me too. Mm. It was like, really? <laughs> oh, Okay. Mm. And I guess, and I guess poetry is, is a great space for those like me too's to be discovered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the me too's to be discovered. I love that. Mm. Cause I know like yeah. I've, I mean, I feel like all so much of this is tying together. Like I found your work through Brene sharing your work. Um, mm. and like, and I have, some of your poetry written on my mirror, especially I have the line. That's amazing. From <laughs> the line from your poem that says, my goodness, you are goodness. 
today is mm-hmm. one show up um, mm. on my mirror and I read it every morning. Like that is, that just gave me chills. It gives me chills too. Like the first time I read Thank it, you. I was like, I mean, I read it on my mirror. Like, mm. <laughs> and I, it's just such a, it's a, there's something about your poetry that I think deeply resonates. It deeply resonates with me and, mm. and clearly from looking at your Instagram with so many people. Um, yeah. And what a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, thank first of all, thank you. Mm. Um, like it's, I think it's, it's interesting even now, like it's hitting me in a different way hearing your voice say that. Cause you know, I get, I get messages from people and they, and they genuinely like warm my heart, mm. um, and like encourage me to keep going. And some of the, like, I, there is this like kind of sense of community of like, I feel like there are a bunch of misfits trying to figure out how they feel about the world. Mm -hmm. And that's like a lot of the, a lot of the people that I, uh, that like my poetry are those people. Right. Um, but, but there's something, and maybe again, connecting back to that conversation of, um, you know, being in a physical world with physical bodies Mm -hmm. and being connected to those things. There's something about like, hearing your voice, um, first of all, tell me that my poetry like matters to you, but like with the specifics and that specific line. And I'm just like, like I, I it's like a weird, not out of body experience. It's like a weird in body experience. <laughs> um, so that like genuinely means a lot to me and mm. thank you. Mm. And I'm like honored and mm. grateful. Mm. Mm. Uh. Tori, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> this has been Yeah. This has been such a pleasure. And, this has been awesome. Yeah. And um Yeah, everyone go follow Tori on Instagram. Like <laughs> hey. Yeah. Um, how can people find you? Like Yeah. Um I mean all of my stuff is at notesontheway.com. Okay. Um that's my like my socials. Uh it's notes on the way on literally everything. Twitter, Facebook, uh Instagram. Great. Um and then on notesontheway.com, uh, it's got all of my socials and also my store for, mm-hmm. um, like, where you can purchase prints of my poetry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess that would be probably the best place to find it all Great. in one spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Again, you can find all of Tori's work across social media using the handle at notesontheway or notesontheway.com. Quirology is on Twitter at QuirologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Quirology is produced with support from listeners just like you. To find out how you can support Quirology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to do that is by leaving a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review. Uh, just a couple minutes of your time really, really helps out. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of who you'd like to see on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. It's pretty easy to find me. Hope you all have a great week. And until next week, bye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.